welcome to St. Matthew's this morning. Uh, to those of you who are here in the building and also to those of you who are online at home. It's uh, wonderful to see you all. Uh, in this service of the Lord's Supper, we'll have a particular focus today on thanksgiving. And I think the reasons for that will become obvious as the, the service unfolds. Uh, our, our first hymn this morning is a prayer, a prayer to God, asking him to help us sing his praise, not just when we're here in church, but in everything that we do. So would you stand as our singers lead us in singing, Fill thou my life, O Lord, in every part with praise. Please be seated. 
And uh, welcome again uh, to St Matthew's this morning, both those of you who are here in person and those of you who are online. Uh, for our guests, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, we love having guests, so we're glad to have you here. I hope you've already been made to feel welcome and that that welcome continues. Now, these are troubled times, aren't they? The news is full of war, of pandemic, of floods, of political troubles. So it's really good to come together as God's people this morning, to be listening to his word, to be listening to the story of Jesus which changes everything and which gives us perspective on the day-to-day -day affairs of our lives. And today in particular, we see the Lord Jesus feeding a lot of hungry people with just a little bit of food. He just doesn't feed them a little bit of food, he feeds them generously. There's lots left over. And it speaks to us of the God who rules this world, who is not only powerful, but incredibly generous. That's one of the reasons why our theme today is the theme of thankfulness. In a moment, we'll read a psalm together in which we get to express that sense of thankfulness to God. Uh, but as well as listening to God's word, which Nathan Campbell will be preaching for us from uh, Mark chapter 6, uh, we'll also be sharing together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, so if you don't have uh, some bread and some drink at home ready for that yet, uh, make sure you line that up before the end of the service. And uh, we'll be singing again as well, uh, which is such a great way of praising God and encouraging one another. But right now we're going to read some excerpts from Psalm 136. And uh, the way we'll do this, the, the words will come up on the screen. And uh, I'm going to read the first half of the verse, and I'll get you to read the second part. After a while, you'll realize it's not that hard because it's the same five words every time. His love endures forever. That's only four words, isn't it? It is. Four words. His love endures forever. So let's uh, start with the beginning of um, Psalm 136, and we'll pick it up a little later as well. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. He remembered us in our lower state. And freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen. We really look forward to hearing from God's word a little later in our uh, gathering this morning. Uh, first, though, a little bit of family news and family business. Uh, firstly, to say, again, a welcome to, to you if you're new or visiting with us. Uh, we would really like to know that you've been here so that we can add our welcome from this morning uh, later in the week. And uh, for those of you who are at home, you could use the QR code. Uh, for those of you who are here in the building, just come and say hello. I'd love to meet you. Or say hello to Nathan, who's preaching, uh, to uh, one of our welcomers. We'd, we'd love to add an extra word of welcome there. I'd also mention uh, that if you are in particular need at the moment, these are difficult times uh, at present, uh, we'd appreciate you speaking with us you could call us at the office uh, ask to speak to one of the ministers if i'm there i'd gladly have a confidential conversation with you 
One of the challenges, I think, when we are in need is having the humility to be willing to share that need. Uh, as the person who's the pastoral care minister here, one of my challenges is working out how we use all of the goodwill within the, the body of Christ here. There are so many people who'd love to help uh, and a few people who need help but not willing to put up their hand. So please um, take that humble step of, uh, of sharing uh, if, if you're in need of help. We'd love to help. Uh, speaking of family business, our annual general meeting is on on Monday week, the 28th. Uh, we need to give you formal notice of that as part of the, the church law. And it's a proper thing to do, isn't it, as we seek to make sure that the financial uh, matters of the church are quite transparent and there are audited accounts out the back there that those of you who are interested in those sorts of things are very um, welcome to, to take hold of. Uh, the AGM is also a time when we elect people to a variety of roles within the church uh, and nominations are open for those. All of the details of what's happening in the AGM were in the email that was sent out on Friday and that will be sent again uh, this Friday. If you have any questions about that, uh, please see me. Or our Senior Minister Bruce is back in town. Where are you, Bruce? Bruce, do you want to stand up? It's great to see you back, brother. And... Uh, <laughs> We're sorry for you and the, the terrible weather, the terrible fishing conditions, um, but we're glad you did have a break and we're, we're very glad that you're back. So AGM uh, Monday week, very welcome to be there. Please do be praying for especially appointment of people to those positions on the parish council as wardens and as parish nominators. Two things coming up. Uh, one at 12 o'clock today. We've been talking about the, the harbour baptisms uh, that will be taking place today for some time. Be so good to be standing with the 10 brothers and sisters who are being baptised in the harbour uh, at midday. Uh, do be down there a little before midday if you can. Um, that'd be just so encouraging for them and so good for us all uh, to witness brothers and sisters new to, to Christ uh, expressing their faith in him in that way. The other thing is that next Sunday the church picnic is on it's fantastic that we've got an opportunity for people from all of our congregations after COVID has been so disruptive to come together at, in a social setting over at North Harbour Reserve. Again, the details were in the email, but basically be there by 12. It might help to carpool. There's not heaps of um, car parking down at North Harbour there in Balgala. Um, bring everything uh, that you'll need for a picnic. There are barbecues there. Uh, there will be a food truck and there will also be a gelato van. What do we call it? You can get gelato anyway, a gelato cart. Uh, so some, that as well as some fun games that are, are in place. That's uh, Church Family News. Deborah is going to come and lead us in prayer. Thanks, Deb. Good morning. It's lovely to see everybody. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know your love endures forever, that you are creator and sustainer of all that is, seen and unseen. Thank you that you remember us in our lower state. Thank you for hearing us now as we pray. Lord, we call out on behalf of the people of Ukraine in their suffering. As the God who causes nations to rise and fall, we ask for your mercy and justice to prevail. Enable us to look past the atrocities we're presented with and to have faith and hope that you can bring that mercy and justice to those in need. 
Remember them in their lower state and guide us to give and act to alleviate suffering wherever we can. We know your love endures forever. Thank you. Lord, we pray for DR Congo, where people have been suffering violence, kidnapping and death from rebel militia forces for years. We pray for the provision for the millions that face acute hunger and must search every day for food for their families. And we pray for the work of our mission partner, Heal Africa, particularly as they work with children dealing with the additional trauma of the recent volcanic, volcanic eruptions and the pandemic. Remember them in their lower state. Thank you, Lord. We continue to pray for those who've been affected by the floods. Strengthen and provide for those who've lost everything. Bring aid that is most needed and surround them with love and compassion. Comfort those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Thank you for the many individuals and agencies giving time, resources and energy to make a difference. Thank you for those that lost their lives and comfort those who miss them. We pray that communities will be unified and strengthened and that local Christians would participate with willing hearts. Your love endures forever. Thank you. And we pray for the staff team here at St Matthews. We thank you for the rest and refreshment Bruce's experienced. And we pray for the staff who've had, either have COVID, have had COVID or been in isolation for their healing and protection from extended illness and adverse health issues. Give energy and stamina to those who are managing the extra workload. May they all be united as they serve you to see your church grow through the gospel of Jesus because your love endures forever. Thank you, Lord. We pray now for those who are sick or suffering in our midst. We think particularly for David and for Emma Sini as she supports him, with David having been in hospital for weeks and weeks and no end in sight. Might he know your presence and comfort? Heal him, Lord, and give medical staff wisdom and insight as they plan his care. And Father, we pray for those who we now bring before you silently that are on our hearts. Heavenly Father, we pray this week that that phrase, your love endures forever, echoes constantly in our minds. That whether we're in seasons of plenty or seasons of pain, that you keep us in the shadow of your wings that you would comfort and strengthen us and that through both plenty and pain, we might boldly share that enduring love with others through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Uh, would you please be standing as we sing our next hymn.
Good morning, everybody. Our, our Bible reading today is from Mark chapter 6. In your pew Bibles, it's page 1008. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 56. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he said, he asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. That's all. I didn't prepare the rest, so we're just gonna stop there. <laughs> no, that was a mistake. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Nathan, if I haven't met you. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get started. Let's pray. Lord God, despite all the awful things happening in our world right now, you still are a giver of good things. May we taste your goodness as we feed on this word that you've given us today. Amen. Amen. I've been having a bit of a debate with myself this week. I wonder where you might fall on it. What do you think Jesus's most mundane miracle was? By mundane, of course, I mean the plainest, most ordinary, least impressive miracle. I know by definition a miracle is anything but mundane. Uh, that's part of what makes something miraculous. But surely there's got to be some kind of order to miracles, right? Like a scale of impressiveness. And before you go and tell me that all miracles are equally impressive, I would just like to direct you to 2 Kings chapter 6, which is where the, the prophet Elisha miraculously made an axe head float in water because someone accidentally dropped it into the Jordan River. Oh no, my Lord, he cried, it was borrowed. <laughs> That's my favorite bit. That miracle is like the equivalent of, you know, mum, I can't find my socks. I mean, mums do have a 
miraculous power in that regard, don't they? When it comes to, to miracles, there's totally an impressiveness scale. And so I've been wondering this week whether this feeding miracle in Mark chapter 6 is actually Jesus' most mundane. Surely it's got to be in the running at least, right? Up there with the time that he cursed a fig tree and it died. <laughs> There's just something quite ordinary about what he's doing here at, at one level. Like it could be titled, Jesus Shouts Dinner. I mean, you and I can't walk on water, which is what Jesus was about to do in the next passage. We, we can't tell storms to settle down, which is what Jesus did back in chapter 4, and we certainly can't raise people back to life like Jesus did. But if you and I had the coin and the time, then we could totally have a go at trying to feed 5,000 people, couldn't we? Like, it'd be a little tricky, but you could give it a go. I mean, it's not often that you're able to say of Jesus' miracles, you know what? I could do that. I could do that. For those of us who are with us, for the first time today, we're making our way through the Gospel of Mark, and it offers us a snapshot, really, into Jesus' ministry, and, and Mark, Mark's purpose, really, is to impress upon us the importance of who Jesus is. If you've got your Bibles there, we take up the story in verse 30, and once again, you'll see that we are confronted with Jesus' popularity. He was a popular guy. He'd become something of a local celebrity. People seemed to be flocking from all over in order to, to hear him teach, in order to be healed by his touch. Uh, and as the story opens, we find Jesus and the disciples are exhausted and hungry. Remember a couple of weeks ago, they'd just gotten back from a mission trip. So Jesus' intention at the very start of our passage today, seems to be to kind of whisk the disciples away for a little R&R, &R, just what Bruce has gotten back from. So they set, for, set sail for a solitary place. It's out in the middle of nowhere so that they can all be alone. And fairly quickly, the plan falls apart. The crowd finds out where they're headed and they end up beating them to their destination. It's kind of like the ancient equivalent of like paparazzi, you can imagine them kind of lining the shores as Jesus and the disciples arrive by boat. And you can also imagine the disappointment of the disciples, the tired and hungry disciples, like, oh, really? So, that is the setup, that's the situation, and it leads to the central conflict that's driving our passage this morning. There's now thousands of people out in the middle of nowhere with nothing to eat. Now remember, Mark is the one writing this account. He's, he's kind of a brief guy. He's not, not a heavy details man, not like kind of Luke and his gospel. Mark likes to move through things fairly quickly, and that means that when there is detail, it's usually pretty important. So it's interesting, for such a mundane miracle, Mark doesn't want us just kind of skimming through it. And you can tell that because he's included lots of details. Lots of details. I've kind of grouped the details into three sections, which basically tracks with how the miracle plays out. First, you've got the sitting down, then the giving thanks, and finally, the cleaning up. Sitting down, giving thanks, cleaning up. 
all fairly straightforward, ordinary details. But I think, I think these details actually end up making this miracle anything but mundane. So, firstly, the sitting down. Jesus has been teaching the crowd again, but as it gets later in the day, the disciples see this looming problem and they raise it with Jesus. You can see it there in verses 35 and 36. They come to him and they say, mate, there is no food anywhere here. It's getting late. You're going to need to send the people off to find their own dinner. They're basically saying, this is not our problem. This is not our problem. Now, I mean, we've all been there before, haven't we? You're tired, you're hungry, it's been a long day and you're just about to turn in and then something comes up it's like, this is not my problem. It's not my problem. We've all been there, right? So we can sympathise with the disciples at one level, I think. But the contrast between their response and what we see Jesus do next couldn't be more different. Jesus is like, nah, boys, we're going to make it our problem. We're going to make it our problem. Disciples must have been thinking Jesus had lost his mind. They still hadn't quite get, got it yet who they were dealing with. But they're like, how, how do you intend for us to feed so many people when all we've got is like a two-piece feed from KFC? Like, barely enough to feed the 13 of us, let alone the, this hungry horde of thousands that have gathered here. And then we get a few curious details. Look closely with me at verse 39 and 40. Some really strange details, actually. It says, Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Hundreds and fifties. Why mention the green grass? Well, you see, by including these details, Mark is casting Jesus as the long-awaited shepherd. Shepherd of Israel, sent to tend to God's sheep, his people. And the groups of hundreds and fifties... That reference is something that Moses had done thousands of years before. Moses, of course, was Israel's first and greatest shepherd, wasn't he? Who led the sheep, God's people, from slavery in Egypt to the promised land through the wilderness. That was the trip as well where God literally made it rain bread from the sky. So there's also that kind of parallel going on in in our passage today. And then at one stage in the desert, you can see it there on the slide, Moses organizes the nation by appointing leaders over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Kind of like what Jesus does, organizing them into groups on the grass there. Mark is is casting Jesus as a kind of Moses-like figure. And then you come to the green grass, and it's like, that's a really interesting thing to note, Mark, who doesn't normally like to note the details down. But it's got shepherding undertones as well, actually. If you recall the most famous psalm of them all, Psalm 23, written by Israel's greatest ever king, King David, in that psalm, he calls God his shepherd, doesn't he? Who makes me lie down in green pastures. 
That's the picture Mark's painting for us in the passage. Jesus as shepherd, getting the sheep to lie down in green pastures. See, at that time, there was massive Jewish expectation that that, that one greater than Moses from the line of David would come to save God's people. That was the Messiah. And lastly, perhaps most profound of all, before there's even a problem with food, Mark tells us back in verse 34, that when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Sheep without a shepherd. That's a direct pull from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel, do you remember Ezekiel from last year? He's ministering at what was probably the lowest point in Israel's history. And in chapter 34, he kind of paints this glorious vision of God himself coming as Israel's shepherd to rescue his lost sheep. He says this in chapter 34, Because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down declares the Sovereign Lord. So you see, this mundane miracle is actually peppered with profound messianic details. This isn't just Jesus putting on a feed for a hungry crowd. It's announcing that this man is none other than Israel's long-awaited shepherd king, the one promised to come to tend to and to guide, and to feed God's people, and to even eventually give up his own life, shed his own blood, offer himself as the sacrifice for their sins. If you don't yet know the shepherd king, you really need to. And if you do know him, but you haven't really been following him lately, it's time to start doing that again. We heard last week about how rigorous Jewish law was about the clean eating rules. You remember last week, if you were here? Only the proper food that had been properly prepared could be eaten by the properly clean, according to Jewish law. Well, here, Jesus doesn't fuss around with any of that. It's really interesting. There's no hierarchy There's no order of service, there's no preferences shown, there's no hoops to jump through. The food that Jesus is serving on this day, it's it's actually for anyone and for everyone that's willing to accept it, whether clean or unclean, rich or poor, saint or sinner. Jesus, the shepherd king, was actually given by God for everyone. That goes for us too. I wonder, do you ever say grace before you eat? In our house, we always pray together before dinner, and we all kind of take it in turns, right, including our three young boys. One of them, he prays with like a laser precision. So it's the same thing in the same way every single time without a word out of place. But then one of our other boys, when he prays, you're never really sure what you're going to get. But it'll always include a comprehensive recap of the day. (laughs) 
Both of them are great. But saying grace is a fairly mundane sort of thing, right? Like, at least in our household, it's fairly mundane. It's a regular, everyday, ordinary kind of thing. How interesting, then, that Mark makes sure to include the fact that Jesus gives thanks here in our passage before they eat. We're not told what it is he prayed, but there's a fairly good chance that it might have been the chamotzi. Now, the chamotzi was... Um, was taken from Psalm 104, and it was this kind of special blessing that Jews would pray, particularly before they broke bread. It goes like this, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. What a great, what a great thing to pray. And the thing that I, I really love about that prayer is the way that it acknowledges God's ongoing role in providing and sustaining for the world. I mean, think about a nice golden loaf of bread. This is more like a roll. There are a lot of different steps that you have to go through in order to get it into this state. You've got to plant the seeds, harvesting the grain, grinding it into flour, forming it into dough, and then baking it into bread. None of that happens without human involvement, right? We have to plant and harvest and grind and form and bake. And yet, without God, it also doesn't happen. That's the testimony actually throughout the whole Bible. God doesn't just set his world in motion and then sit back. He's also responsible for actually keeping it in motion, we're told. So in Psalm 104, which the Chomotzi is based off, it says, He, as in God, makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth bread from the earth. And that famous hymn of Christ in, in Colossians 1, verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's present tense. And that means that our food is not only the result of the work of our hands, it's also the result of God's generous provision. And so the beauty of saying grace for something that's as mundane as our daily bread is actually to confess the exact opposite. As we give thanks, we, we declare that the food we're about to eat isn't actually just mundane, it's miraculous in a way. And each bite testifies to God's grace in sustaining us and his world. Theologian by the name of Norman Wurzbach, he wrote a book called Food and Faith, A Theology of Eating. What an interesting thing to write a book about. I, I really want to read it. But here is how he describes it. He says, To say grace before a meal is among the highest and most honest expressions of our humanity. Here around the table and before witnesses, we testify to the experience of life as a precious gift to be received and given again. We acknowledge that we do not and we cannot live alone, 
but are the beneficiaries of the kindness and mysteries of grace upon grace. I love that. You see, saying grace isn't mundane at all. And of course, giving thanks for our food is really just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Because food's just one example of all the ways in which life is really dependent on God's common grace. I was just struck by that this past week. Last week, actually, we were stuck in isolation. I was actually supposed to be preaching this sermon last Sunday, but but we had to switch because of that. And I decided to use our ISO, our time in ISO, to... To, to teach our eldest son how to mow the lawn, right? That's one of the things you've got to learn to do at some point. I figured now's the time. So we got out there. Here is a before and after shot. He did a pretty good job. But that top picture, it looks like I hadn't mowed in months. <laughs> it actually only been two weeks, if you can believe it or not. I guess that's, that's the impact that torrential rain will have on your garden. You probably found the same. But... At the end, I was sitting on the back deck with him and we were kind of just appreciating our handiwork and that smell of freshly mown grass. And I was just struck by this thought, you know, life just happens. Just happens, doesn't it? All around us, it's happening. Things grow without us really doing a thing to make it happen. We can't make it rain. We certainly can't make it stop raining. We found that out the last couple of weeks, right? We can't make the sun shine. It just does. It goes for our bodies as well. I don't have to decide to make my heart beat or my nails grow or my skin repair itself. It just happens. Life happens. And it's not our doing. It's God's. We're surrounded by this ongoing, sustaining grace of His, and yet most of us, myself included, we go through the day, the week, the month, surrounded by this grace, and yet, all too often, we're oblivious to it. We take it for granted. It's as if the miraculous has become the mundane. So, how do we avoid taking life for granted? Well, the antidote is thankfulness. Thankfulness, being thankful. And if you're not in the habit of making thankfulness a big part of your prayer time, then it'd be worth start doing that. That's why I love the fact that even Jesus gave thanks. We see it in our passages this morning, right? And if you're not in the habit of saying grace before you eat, that would be a great thing to start doing as well. This week in our growth group, uh, we were talking about family traditions, and everyone was kind of sharing different family traditions that they had, and and someone shared that that every night at the dinner table, her family passes around a spoon with the word gratitude written on it, and as the spoon goes around, each of them actually have to take a turn to share what they're thankful for. I love that. What, What a great idea. What could you try doing this week to cultivate in yourself a heart of thankfulness? So, Mark chapter 6. What has this mundane miracle turned up so far? Well, the sitting down 
has revealed that Jesus is none other than the shepherd king, sent by God to seek and to save his lost sheep. It's a reminder of what God has given in sending us his son. And then the giving thanks is actually a reminder of what God is giving right now. His ongoing grace, right, to, to feed and sustain his world. So, of course, that leads us with the cleaning up, really, to what God will give, the coming of his kingdom. And we really get a little glimpse of that here in the details of the food that's left over. I've always loved that detail in this story, the food that's left over, probably because I'm a bit of a leftovers type of guy. I actually eat them for breakfast, which apparently is a bit weird, according to my wife. What I think is weird is the fact that this miracle ends with so much food left over. Take a look at verse 43 with me. We're told that there's baskets and baskets of food left over, 12 in fact, that's a lot. And given that there was only 12 disciples doing the collecting, it's fair to assume there was probably way more than just that that was left over that they couldn't collect. Don't you think that's strange? That, that a guy who can miraculously feed 5,000 people can't somehow work out how much food was actually needed? Was it a mistake? Did they get the maths wrong? Did he forget to carry the one? Like, what, what's going on? What's going on? Again, I think Mark's including the details for a reason, and, and the mountain of leftovers are really an exclamation point for the verse that's just before it. Take a look at verse 42. It's a little verse, but it packs a punch. There's a lot going on. Verse 42 says, They all ate and were satisfied. So simply put, they, they, they all ate and were satisfied. And the question is, how could they possibly know that everyone had eaten enough? That 5,000 people had stuffed themselves full? Well, the only way you're going to know that is by the leftovers. The leftovers are actually the proof that everyone had had enough. You see, this wasn't, this wasn't one of those fancy black tie functions, right, where the waiters are coming around with the trays of tiny canapes, right, just a nibble, <laughs> And if you're, if you're there on an empty stomach, then good luck to you. <laughs> because instead of listening to the person that you're there with, you end up just spending the whole night looking around for the, the waiters with the, the trays of tiny canapes. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. But you see, Jesus' wilderness banquet is not like one of those events. It's not just a nibble. It's a, an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. And the details that Mark includes make this fact abundantly clear. Verse 42, everyone was satisfied. <laughs> there was more than enough. More than enough. And why is that important? Well, because here, with this mundane feeding miracle in the middle of nowhere, what we actually have is, is a taste of the kingdom from the shepherd king himself. It's a, a remarkable picture of the way the absolute abundance of God brings absolute satisfaction to his people. It's a picture of the kingdom that is still yet to come. We're, we're still waiting for it. And it really was just a taste 
just a taste. Because by the next morning, you know, everyone would have been hungry again and they would have had to go and find their own breakfast. Because you see, God doesn't, doesn't guarantee us absolute fullness and abundance now. But he promises us that there is a day that's coming and the 12 baskets of leftovers are making that promise that on that day, when Christ finally returns and the wedding of the banquet, sorry, the wedding of the lamb is in full swing, we will feast. We will feast, won't we? And, and we will be filled. God's absolute abundance bringing our absolute satisfaction. So this is a word of hope for those who are running on empty. There might be lots of us here who are feeling that way right now. Or for those who are here fearing that they might not have enough for whatever reason. Like the food that Jesus brought forth that day, the God we worship is more than enough. He is more than enough. It's also a word of challenge, I think, for those of us who have been looking elsewhere to be filled. We do that, don't we? We think we can find satisfaction on our own terms, but the truth is we can't and we won't. Come back to the God who is more than enough. You see, what he has given in sending his son, the shepherd king, to live and to die and to rise again so that we might be found, that is more than enough. What God is giving right now, his ongoing, sustaining grace, the food on our tables, the life around us that just happens, it is more than enough so too this promise of what he will give, the coming of his kingdom, when we will never hunger nor thirst again, as it says in the book of Revelation. His absolute abundance, bringing our absolute satisfaction. On that day, it will certainly be more than enough. Friends, this is our God. And I can't think of a better way for us to finish reflecting on this than to respond in thankfulness. Would you do that with me? Let's pray. Father God, it is hard for us to express our thankfulness for all the things that you have given to us, particularly the way that you've given us your son, the shepherd king, to seek and to save the lost, us, it's hard to express our thanks, Lord, for all the things that you are giving to us. The things that we are surrounded by, the life, the food, that we really, Lord, we just depend on you for it all, and yet we don't thank you enough for. Lord, we pray that you would grow in us hearts of thankfulness, overflowing with thankfulness, and yet also, Lord, hearts that yearn yearn for what you are still to give, the coming of your kingdom, and that day, Lord, when we will never hunger nor thirst again. May we long for that day, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue expressing our thankfulness by singing this final song together. Now thank we all our God. Please stand as we sing. going to be sharing together in the Lord's Supper. If you don't have one of the little communion packs, would you put your hand up and someone will bring it for you. And uh, while we're just waiting for that, uh, it's worth taking the little plastic top off and the little foil bit off as well. While you're doing that, I'll just take you back. Um, As Nathan was sharing about being around the table with the three boys and giving thanks each evening, it took me back um, to when we were living in North Rocks. We had a similar sort of um, pattern in our family life, four children around the table. And uh, one night we asked one of our sons to pray and he promptly said, I'm not giving thanks for that. Which, um, if it were not such a lovely expression of his honesty and uh, his, uh, his taste, it, it would have been a very rude thing to say. 
And so it is, isn't it? When we just take for granted the good things that God gives us every day. So it's been great today, hasn't it, to be hearing about the incredible generosity of God shown through that act of Jesus in feeding so many hungry people and there being more than enough for everybody. Uh, our God is so good. And we see that no more so than in the Lord's Supper. When we, when we go back to the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, uh, as, um, as we partake in this custom where we've got just a little bit of bread and a, a little bit of, of drink, it's a reminder of what took place as Jesus was preparing the disciples for what was about to happen. And so the tone, the tone of, our, of our custom is, I think, on the one hand, very solemn because we're going back to the death of Jesus. That's what he was pointing them forward to. But it's, it's a joyful meal at the same time because we remember the effectiveness of his once-for-all sacrifice. There was no need for any further sacrifice. Everything had been done so that people like us could be completely forgiven. At the same time as that, as those two things, the meal that Jesus shared with them then and the significance that he drew from the various elements of the meal points us forward to the great celebration that will take place in the place where Jesus has prepared for us in the new creation. There's not a lot of pictures given to us of what it will be like then, but one of the common pictures is of a place of a banquet where there is a celebration and there's beautiful food for everyone to share. So it's a wonderfully significant meal that we share, on, share in. Uh, this is how the scriptures describe that last meal Jesus shared with the disciples. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Then he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, in a moment, we're going to share together in that little bit of bread and that little sip of juice. But first, let's come humbly before God in confession of our sins. And here's a reminder from the scriptures, from 1 John, 8, 1 John 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So together, brothers and sisters, let's pray this prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And hear this word of reassurance from 1 John chapter 2. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So let's take a little bit of bread and as we eat, let's remember the body of Christ which was given for us. And as we drink, let's remember the, the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for us and for the forgiveness of sins. And as it's right for us to do, let's give thanks to God for all that he's achieved for us through Jesus Christ. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, how encouraging has it been to hear and watch the Lord Jesus in action, caring for the needs of the thousands of people who were there in front of him, which is such a beautiful picture of God's power and his generosity that which he makes freely available to everybody, everywhere. Uh, there's a word of hope, as we heard, for those who may be running on empty. And there's a reminder that the God we worship is more than enough. Would you like to stand as we encourage each other with the words of the grace? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Please join us for morning tea.